What, you don't like my leg on the table? I think it's odd. I didn't say I didn't like it. <laughs> uh, the music. That is the music. The coming in. How about that? Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I suppose you know since the music means. is playing, yeah, it's time for us to uh, begin and welcome you to the Video Reformation Podcast. I'm Ben Oliver. I'm Justin Plant. We're the co-founders of Storyboard Media and your guides on the journey to practicing effective video for business. We're like the Joseph Walker to your settlers on the Oregon Trail. The real one, not the video game one. Okay. Yeah. But didn't you already use a Sacagawea? That's not the Lewis Oregon Trail. Well, when was that? Sacagawea was Lewis and Clark. Yeah, but well, weren't they on the Oregon Trail? No. Oh. No, they went out first. Okay. More for them, there wouldn't be. An I thought Oregon they create. I thought they blazed that. No, trail. no, no, no. Theirs was a uh, more holistic. Okay. Yes. Um, this week on the History of Westward Expansion podcast, um, before we jump into our topic today, um, which is working well with others, a um, little housekeeping. Uh, I can't remember what we said last week. Don't send us topics anymore. We got plenty of topics. I don't know. Uh, but we, yeah. Send us some topics this week. If you want send to hear us some something, topics. tell us. About. Well, uh, without any further ado, I would like to welcome a wonderful guest that we have joining us today. Uh, joining us is Matt Garrison of Dash. Uh, Our live audience, yes, you can't hear them. All the, you, yeah, you can't right. hear them. It's really just something we add in post. Um, uh, you know, COVID. Uh, now, Mac, I understand that that in lieu of, of us having our own sponsors, you've actually brought with you a new sponsor for the podcast for this episode. Is that true? That's true. That's true. You want me to read out who our sponsor is for the episode? Yeah, I'd, li- I'd like to know what the company is, and then we'll hear the full spot later on. Absolutely. Uh, today, it's Politipops, saving holiday dinners since Thanksgiving 2016. Okay. Um, All right. I-, I can already taste it. Yeah. That that's a that's a nice little whetting of the appetite. Yes, right there. you could say it's a uh, mouthful. Ha! Mm. <laughs> little pops. All right. Um, uh, That'll so, make more sense later. It'll be great. Great. <laughs> um, Mac, why don't you go ahead and uh, before we jump into uh, working well with others, which I think is something we could demonstrate today, um, I think that's what today's all about. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, yourself, your journey to getting here, and, and also what Dash is all about, just so our audience can understand where you're coming from. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks again for you both having me. Um, you know, huge fans of y'all's, and particularly since our, we have neighboring cities uh, and we share an airport, it makes sense that we are on this podcast together and chatting. Um, so yeah, so my name is, uh, Matt Garrison. I'm one of the co-founders and executive producers of Dash, a high-end animation and motion design studio built around creating incredible content. Uh, the path to getting to Dash and where I started, uh, you know, is a little all over the place. You know, my background has always been design. You know, I really like the idea of problem solving and particularly problem solving with creative, um, so, you know, my background started at uh, College of Design at NC State University, where I really dabbled in a lot of different things. You know, I loved live action. I love drawing. I love doodling. I love graphic design. Uh, stumbled into animation a little bit towards the end of my time there. And it really was after school where I really kind of found that love of combining live action, motion graphics, and the whole kit and caboodle. Um, so, I graduated, had a few internships, eventually had a little bit of a freelance career before landing uh, in an agency in the area where 
I worked my way up from a junior animator uh, to senior and eventually art director. And it was about that time that I realized that Raleigh had a really big need uh, for animation and motion graphics. You know, animation is really great conduit for explaining complex material. And I think as a tech hub that this area really is, you know, there's a lot of services and software and various things that people needed to understand and Mm -hmm. figure out how to digest. And so in 2015, um, my now business partner, Corey Livengood, and myself started Dash because we believe in the power of creativity and motion design that matters. You know, we didn't want to just be a production house, but rather a boutique studio that focuses on quality over quantity. Uh, and since then, we've grown Dash to be eight full-time staff. And then we work with uh, probably about 20 to 25 contractors on a regular basis. Um, and we just had our five-year anniversary last month. So that's always Very exciting nice. news as well, too. Hey, yeah, you were going to have a big party, weren't you? <laughs> we were. Uh, COVID had some other plans, but we were yeah. going to have the Dash Bash, uh, which was going to be a conference where we were hoping to bring together some of the uh, best, most creative minds in the motion design industry uh, together for basically three days of hangouts, talks, um, where we could basically chat and share ideas, more or less. So that was supposed to be happening this year. Um, that will now be happening in September 2021. Um, but we're looking forward to having folks here. And if people are interested, I can give a quick little plug. It's dashbash.net. So D-A-S-H-B-A-S-H.net. So hopefully folks will join. Hopefully y'all come too. Yeah, I'd love to. I can't wait to go. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, well, no, I, I like that you talked about your your full-time staff and also how many contractors you work with. Uh, you know, I think we've talked before about how we're now at five people in house, but over the last two years, I think it's not I a competition. Checked, ben. No, it's not. But <laughs> I, no, but but I think it's like seventy six contractors that that we've worked with. Yeah, um, and um, that's the competition. It's how many? <laughs> it's how many contractors you can work with? That's right. That's the one we can win. Um, that sounds about right. But you know, I I think it's uh, but I think it's worth noting that that and I know that a portion of the work that you all do is live action also, but but since our primary focus is live action and your primary focus is animation. Mm-hmm. It's still worth noting that regardless of, of the, the type of video, the kind of the direction that, that is going there, you're a lot of, a lot of agencies are still relying on outside people. Um, it's not all about having, and, and I think, and I think honestly that that's just part of like, you know, these new smaller subdivision type agencies like us. I think that's just how we operate differently than big agencies have operated uh, in the past where they get the new client right and they bring in, you know, 30 new people on staff and then they lose a client and they got to fire 30 Mm -hmm. people. Uh, I know we don't ever want to follow that model and and operate like that. That's been a big part of why we have so many contractors as opposed to so many full time. Yeah. Um, I think it's also indication of a shift in the industry too. You know, I, I, think about kind of where things are right now. And you traditionally, um, you know, then we were kind of just talking about before we even started the podcast, but, uh, you know, traditionally I think you would have uh, a company that would go to an agency because they wanted that agency to handle all the creative, everything from the video production to the campaigns, the marketing to all that stuff. Well, you have these companies that are having bigger and stronger in-house teams. They're more competent teams. They don't need the full turnkey service for everything. And so what that has led to, I think, is folks uh, focusing on smaller shops to handle specific needs. Uh, so like Dash, where they come to us for, you know, specific 
animation or storyboard where they're coming to you for uh, the live action stuff. And these companies are recognizing that they can get that same quality out of a smaller shop um, at a cheaper price than having to go for this turnkey service. So that's the good news for shops like us because we're starting to get opportunities to work on bigger and better projects. On the other hand, I think um, contractors are getting bigger and better than ever. So freelancers are starting to encroach to a certain degree on some of the studio work. So there is kind of this bigger pinch in the industry. Mm-hmm. And I think the people that are the most flexible, the most nimble, and you know, folks that can really adapt are going to be the ones who end up coming out on this on, on the front side. But or that's a really good point. In the spirit of the, the title of this, the, one who's, the ones who are most willing to work with others, I think are the ones yeah. who are going to get the opportunity to keep working. Just like... Just like Dash, we started out with two people and we literally did everything that you could mm-hmm. do to, to make the video. Uh, is that how you guys started as well <clears throat> at, at Dash? Just you and Corey uh, pretty much side by side in the same little closet, uh, <laughs> you know, dark room firing away? That was my oh, second yeah. bedroom. Thank you very much. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, 100%. 100%. I mean, you know, in the early days... I mean, you have to do everything, you know, I mean, there's no other way, you know, I think, you know, the people that make up a, a good business, you know, you, you have to be part technician, you got to be part manager, you got to be part entrepreneur. And you're, we were kind of juggling all three of those roles in the early days, you know, um, one benefit for Corey and I, we actually lived uh, in the same apartment building when we first started Dash. So it made it really easy as far yeah. as just walking to each other's That's room good. and, you know, getting advice and things like that. Uh, funny story, we actually almost called our company Neighbors instead of Dash because it was, uh, <laughs> you're right next to each other. Uh, it wasn't until like we came up with the name, we're like, Neighbors sounds really cool that we actually found that there was another motion design studio out there called Neighbors. Mm, and they wow. did fantastic work. So we're like, all right, well, we can't call ourselves that. So uh, we ended up landing on Dash. <laughs> Where was that moment where you did break out? Who was the, f- the first kind of person you reached out to? Where, where did that need, like, what was, the, what was the catalyst for starting to work with others? I think it really came down to just, like, starting to get burned out in a way. Like, you're just doing so much. or like, there's no way we can take on all this work. We're like, we just need help. You know, we found early on that we were saying no to a lot of projects and that we we just couldn't take on because we just didn't have enough staff. So we were like saying yes to same something, saying no to others. And so in an effort to want to say yes to more, to not want to have to turn down these projects, that's when we really started work looking to see um, what some roles we could bring on were. You know, Corey and I's background, you know, we were both designers, but we definitely aired on more of the motion graphics side of things. Uh, we felt like we struggled a little bit on more of like the illustrative animation. And so our first hire was actually an intern uh, that we brought in who was first and foremost an illustrator and kind of secondly a designer uh, to really help with some of the pre-production elements that we felt like were lacking a little bit. Um, and so, you know, as we started to grow and I think, you know, year after year, we just kind of kept looking at to where there were holes in our staff on what we wanted to be doing and what we were creating. And that's where sort of things naturally kind of led to certain hires that we brought in that. And then we also looked at like where our workload was being spread thin, like where we would just like, wow, we just really need some help here. That was very uh, indicative of where we needed to hire. So I think, you know, to your question, Justin, it, you know, the, it kind of naturally came about. I think you kind of have to stop and recognize where your weak spots are or where you're being overworked and trying to bring someone in to help uh, mitigate that a bit. Uh, was that, did you start by hiring or did you start with just bringing people on by project or how did you, how did you manage that? 
<laughs> well, no one told us how we were supposed to do anything. That's one thing that I, I look yeah. back on and realize Amen. that I had no idea what I was doing. I was a designer. I like to make cool stuff. And we knew the process of animation, but we didn't really know how to like grow and create a business. And so because of that, there was a lot of fumbling around, I think, on like what the next move is. You know, I actually think that we hired an intern first before we even started using contractors because it was like the only thing that we knew. Like I didn't even know the sure. process of like trying to hire a contractor. Like what does that even look like? You know, yeah. the fact that I even get a W9, like I, like it seems silly now to think about, but of course I just had no idea because no one told me that. So I think we started with an intern and then, you know, we started looking at all these really great freelance animators out there and we we're like, wow, it'd be really fun to bring on some of these folks. And so that's, I think when we finally realized that maybe you can, and all you have to do is reach out to people and say, Hey, would you like to work on this project? Um, and once you've gotten a few under your belt, I think it feels a little bit easier and you feel a little bit more natural reaching out to some of these folks. I, I don't know. We kind of put contractors on a weird pedestal initially at first. Yeah. Like, oh, we're not mm-hmm. good enough to work with these people, yeah. you know, but at the end of the day, you just share what your project is. And if people want to work on it, they will. And if not, then they don't. And no hard feelings, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I remember that being scary, reaching out to some people who I knew were experienced and, and mm-hmm. very qualified. And there's a little bit of that imposter syndrome kind of circling mm-hmm. around your head and like, are we good enough to work with that person? And, but yeah, for and us, you don't want to feel like, like an idiot. You don't want to say the wrong thing or <clears throat> not know how the process works or stuff right. like that. And, and what we found out is every pro everybody's a little bit different anyhow and how they work. And the only way to really level up your work is to bring other people into your project and, and learn from them as much as they are from you. Um, exactly. Yeah. I think, I think that's the talk track. <laughs> Uh, that we've landed on is is that uh, because it's true it's not just a way to spin it but you know when we've talked about it before it's about it's about bringing in people who are technically or creatively better at this stuff than we are Mm -hmm. that's 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 where we saw the opportunity to grow was you know because like you said it it was just the two of us we were basically two one-man bands when we started and I think both of us wanted to be better shooters, better lighters, better directors, mm-hmm. right? And just keep going that direction. But you, at some point, you have to set aside, to some extent, where you are techni- from a technical proficiency standpoint and the people that you have access to with what's right for the client, what's right for the business, mm-hmm. what's right for the project, that kind of thing. Um, when I go back to kind of mirroring our... Or, or what, what Mac was just talking about, our process was, I think Holden was the first freelancer we ever worked with, and we needed an additional editor because mm-hmm. I was swamped with something. Mm-hmm. And we had been introduced to him by kind of a mutual acquaintance. It wasn't really that we, like, posted any kind of freelance opening or anything. It's like, hey, you guys should talk to this, and we met him at, like, mm-hmm. a Panera or something, and, mm-hmm. and <laughs> all of a sudden we're like, oh, and you do motion graphics too. Mm-hmm. And, and that was like where the light bulb went off, right? That's like, oh, well, we need him to edit, but he does all these other things too. Maybe those are things that we can add. And and so you just, you go in and you just don't know what to expect. But then I look back on that and that was like such a key moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel the same way about interns too. I mean, we had worked with a couple freelancers when we got our first intern, but we saw our first intern honestly as like uh, an extra person who could do anything and everything. And, mm-hmm. and an intern is really supposed to be someone who you're supposed to spend time with and teach them how to do the job. And, and we just leveraged it as basically free extra set of eyes, extra set of hands, whatever. <laughs> um, and you're not really supposed to do that. But, um, but I also look at, at our hiring 
uh, too, right? We've hired based on need at the time. And so the first full-time hire we made was a project manager mm-hmm. because that was the stuff that was slipping. There's also stuff we didn't want to do. That that true. Mm-hmm. That, that That's true. Um, there's a, there's an exercise that was it a story and heart uh, based thing, the uh, mm-hmm. loves and hates mm-hmm. list. So I honestly haven't done it in years, but there's this interesting um, idea that that as an individual, as a, a, I suppose you could apply this to any business, but list out basically every task that has to happen within your little agency from you know getting the next deal to um, creating the invoices to managing the project to emptying the trash to restocking the fridge mm-hmm. in the office. I mean, everything that you can think of, list out all of those things that happen within your organization and then individually list out the things that you love doing and the things that you hate doing and find someone that you can hire to do the things that you hate. Find a way to do more of the stuff that you love. It loves what you hate. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Find someone who <laughs> loves what you hate. Um, Find a way to do more of what you love, and then the stuff that didn't fall is either love or hate. Just don't worry about it. And I, so that was our first hire was basically a project and account manager. And then when he left, our immediate instinct was to replace him. And it took us a couple months to to. And it's funny to think about it now, but but it took us a couple months. And when we were ready to to rehire someone new, uh, our initial instinct was to replace him and put someone in exactly the same role. But then we actually had the presence of mind to step back and think, well, Where what do we, we need now? right now? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Because we hired him because of what we needed then. What do we need right now? And that's how we ended up with Anthony. Mm-hmm. Um, because we needed someone who could who could edit for us, someone Manage who could keep our stuff organized. I mean, the first project we worked with him on as a freelancer was organ. Well, I guess we had him do some editing stuff, but then we had him do this big project where he he organized all of our archive media. So all of the projects that we'd done in those first terabytes, three years terabytes, or whatever, terabytes. and he just organized all of those projects for us as a freelancer. Oof. And he did such yeah. a good job on that. We're like, well, you know, this is something that, that Here's we Here's other need. things we don't want to do. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. Didn't even realize that those things were on the list. And, and so, uh, you know, but, but also I think that's, that's an example, too, where there was that freelancer uh, relationship in place before we hired him. And, and, you know, at the time we hired him part-time, then we promoted him to full-time. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I'm just, you know, hearing some similar things. Let's kind of, let's fast forward to today. Mm -hmm. Um, on, on your average project, how many people do you have working on it? And like, what kinds of people are you trying to bring in from the outside help shed some light on what that might look like unless any of that is proprietary. No, that's fine. Uh, honestly, it really depends on when we're taking on the project. We are lucky at a point right now that if someone has the right funds and it's a cool project, we have the ability to take it on because of our network of uh, contractors that we use. You know, Previously, as I alluded to in the early days, we just couldn't do that. One of the bigger reasons we wanted to grow and build a bigger network of people we could reach out to is because we didn't want to say no to that cool project when it came in. We wanted to make sure it could mm-hmm. always happen if the right check marks were there for the project that we could take it on. So, you know, with our staff of uh, eight people, you know, we have enough staff that have varying skills and what we need for an animation project uh, that we can take it on with our core staff on our own. You know, where we really use contractors and how we work them into our projects 
is to help accent busy times, you know, so if we're really busy and we just can't, we're just stretched too thin that our staff can't reach out everywhere. That's where we really bring on contractors. Um, or if there is a specific creative need that a contractor will offer as a specialist that we mm-hmm. would not be able to tackle yeah. as generalists, that's when we reach out to contractors. I would say on most cases, it's when we're really busy and we bring in people to help fill some of the gaps. Um, at any given time, a dash, we can have anywhere from, you know, I think the, the most projects we've ever had going at one time, I think was about like 16 projects, like 16 videos that were in production at one point uh, in various stages of our process. Um, you know, uh, normally I think it's usually about maybe four or five is kind of mm-hmm. where we, we, we feel comfortable. Um, but yeah, so like, you know, when we bring in contractors, what we usually do is we get a project, we kind of look at the timeline, we see, look ahead to see when people will be finishing up the various work that they'll be on. Um, is that person a good fit for this type of project and like where it lines up? So there's a lot of shuffling, playing traffic and trying to figure out where people will land. And what you end up finding is that there's naturally gaps that kind of arise. And it's like, all right, well, we definitely need someone that can help with 3D animation for this part. Uh, we need to pick someone up for that. Or, oh, you know what? We're going to need our illustrator to help with the pre-production on this part. And so, you know, basically every week, uh, at the end of the week, we start to look ahead for the next two weeks to see where those gaps are, where do things arise, particularly just by the nature of how much stuff uh, evolves. You know, mm-hmm. I would say for every one of our projects, you know, you're probably looking at, you know, there is myself as executive producer, Corey will be the creative director. Marin is going to be the producer on pretty much every project, not every one of them, but pretty much mm-hmm. um, from there. You're also going to have, if it's a turnkey project where we handle everything from start to finish, uh, you're going to have a writer involved in the project. Um, then you have pre-production, which is going to be a designer um, or illustrator. And then as you get into, uh, you know, production with animation, depending on the complexity of the project, uh, usually at a baseline level, we usually always have two animators working on it. Um, but then that can be as high potentially as, you know, four sometimes, um, just depending on the needs and what it is and how quickly it's due. Um, so we'll say two for a project and then you have, uh, you know, music and sound design that we bring in folks to help. You have the voiceover we bring in to help. Um, you know, so you're generally looking at about 10 people mm-hmm. on a project. And as you have a studio of only eight people, uh, we're naturally going to have to find ways yeah. to bring folks in. You know, I think some of the bigger projects we've had, you know, we've had as high as like 16 people working on a single project, which is kind of crazy. Um, wow. You know, and then on smaller sides of things, you know, it's just sort of our core team that we're able to handle that. Mm-hmm. How do you find those people or how have you found those people over time? Yeah, I mean, that's a really great question. Um I've gotten better at it over the years than I was when we first started because I just didn't know where to go. Um, you know, the motion design community is pretty engaged with one another. I was surprised to find how big an industry seems on the outset mm-hmm. to understand how actually connected they all really are. You know, even though most freelancers are kind of spread across uh, the nation as well as the world, um, you know, we use a Twitter uh, a ton, you know, I mean, I know people's Twitter can get kind of crazy, particularly as you start introducing politics and things like that into it. But I really uh, clean my Twitter up. So it only reflects um, folks in my industry that I hold in high regard. And so, you know, people's work gets retweeted, or I find something and I'll just navigate to their website, and be like, hey, really like your work. I think this looks fantastic. Uh, would love to work together sometime. You know, this is some of the work that we do. Love to know a little about the products you like to work on. And just to make that connection, because I think, you know, when you're reaching out and a project's at hand, you need someone to work on it. 
it feels a lot better reaching out to someone that you at least had some minor interaction with versus someone that you've never talked to. So I try to make those communications up front and just kind of establish like a list of folks that I've talked to in the past and kind of keep a running memory of like what they might be good for later on. So then when that right project comes up, I can reach out to them. So I think I use Twitter a ton to connect. I use Instagram a ton to connect. Uh, mainly I'll navigate to people's portfolios um, to connect with them that way. Sometimes I've even done direct messages on Instagram and Twitter. Um, I'll also go to a lot of schools. So we'll do a trip down to SCAD to meet with a lot of their uh, Savannah College of Art and Design, meet with some of their yep. graduates, uh, as well as locally at NC State University. We'll go over there and you know I try to keep some rapport from my time uh, when I graduated. But yeah, it's really kind of a mixture. You know, it's, it's all over the place. And I think one of the things I found is that there's no right solution, but except being engaged. Like you can use any channel you want to connect with people. I just think you just need to be engaged and be active on it. It can't be passive in hopes that people are going to reach out with the right uh, portfolio. Mm -hmm. You got to go find them. Yeah. So I think, you know, half of our audience are those people who are uh, kind of in the freelance world Mm -hmm. um, as opposed to like a client side kind of thing. Um, How would you instruct one of them to, to reach out to you? For anyone that's listening as a freelancer and you're trying to work your way into a studio or agency, um, think about the people that you want to be reaching out to. I would say uh, either producers or creative directors are great places to start. I'd say producers because they're the ones that are ultimately going to be hiring and finding freelancers. Uh, creative directors would be good because they are the ones who are going to be kind of shaping the overall direction for the project. So if you can uh, grab someone's attention with your work, that's a good person to be reaching out to a creative director. If you want to get someone's attention um, for the project at whole, then a, a producer would be good. You know, I always tell students in particular who are graduating, you know, it's so easy to get discouraged when you send an email and no one responds. You're like, all right, well, I guess they hate me. I'll just never talk to them again. Um, and in actuality, and I know both of y'all can relate to this, is just you just get real busy sometimes. So mm-hmm. sometimes yeah. emails that you want to reply to, they just get set aside for a bit. You know, uh, be persistent. You know, don't be annoying. Don't send an email every day to someone. But yeah, you know, every couple of months, if you want to shoot someone uh, an email, absolutely. I won't say any names, but there's a couple of freelancers who will send me an email uh, probably once a month. And I don't mind it because the way they phrase it, they're just like, hey, just want to let you know that I'm available. No need to reply. Hope all is well. Right. It's like, okay, cool. I know this person's trying to stay on top of my list and I appreciate that. Uh, they understand that I'm busy, so I might not need to reply or don't feel obliged to have to reply every time. So yeah, I would just say if you're a freelancer out there, you know, be persistent. Look up studios or agencies or groups that you hold in high regard that you'd want to work at. Uh, find out who some of those people are um, that are there as creative directors or producers, and just shoot them a note every couple of months. You know, it doesn't hurt to stay on their radar. And a lot of that is timing as well, too. You know, sometimes, particularly when you're busy, and when I'm busy. Uh, you know, I start to default to people we've worked with before, you know, I'm like, all right, well, you know, so-and-so worked on this project with us to be a good fit. But if you just happen to send an email at the right time, I mean, timing really is everything. They'll be like, oh, you know what? They reached out um, a month ago. I really like their portfolio. Maybe we can give them an opportunity for this. So, you know, that's where it goes back to, you know, staying relevant, um, staying on people's radar and, and continuing to touch base, even if you just don't hear anything or feel like you got ghosted initially. <laughs> and, and, and I would add to that too, in addition to producers, creative directors, get build relationships with the other people in the area that, that do what mm-hmm. you do. I mean, I can't, I, I can't tell you how many of the like onset sound guys that we have in our stable of freelancers that are because we reached out to one guy and he said, I'm not available, but have you checked with so-and-so mm-hmm. and then you work with that person. And so, you know, it's, it's, that's just another opportunity for, for a new freelancer to build that network because, you know, if, if, 
you know, somebody goes to, to somebody that you've connected with and they can't do it and they can refer you. So it really is just just keeping in touch. I've got a couple people who kind of do the the every six to eight week kind of check in thing, too. And, and I'll be honest, it's a whole lot easier to think of those people when, yeah. you know, all of a sudden a, a project is a go and you've got to crew up. It's, you know, as much as it sucks, as unfair as it is, sometimes, sometimes it's just the people who are top of mind that, you know, they get the work as opposed to, you know, somebody who may be more qualified or more talented or whatever. It's kind of from our perspective, it's the person that you think of for whatever reason. So, I mean, I, but I remember those days. I mean, I remember those days when I was doing that. And I mean, it's just so much intimidation. Yeah. It's so mm-hmm. terrifying to like yeah. do those initial reach outs and build those. But especially when you're talking to your hero like you, you know. Yeah, well, I talk to myself often, so I've kind of gotten used to it. <laughs> I'll also say that uh, a good way to to get on a crew uh, or a project is to buy me a beer, for starters. Pretty yeah. much always available mm, there you for go. that. Uh, it's a good good place to start. Yeah, we've hired a really unqualified... There, buy me a beer. <laughs> yeah, we've hired a lot of really unqualified freelancers because they bought you a beer. <laughs> Finding out the secrets. Alcohol to Justin's heart. <laughs> yep, yep, it's true. Let's hear from our sponsor. Absolutely. So uh, I'd like to introduce uh, Politipops uh, from the makers of Shut Up Tape. Uh, Tired of all the political garbage? The gag-inducing onslaught of partisan politics can be solved by stuffing these delightfully large popsicles down the throats of all your rage-filled family and friends. Crazy uncles and Aunt Karens won't be able to say a thing over Thanksgiving dinner with these massive popsicles uh, shoved down their throat. Politipops, saving holiday dinners since Thanksgiving 2016. I've also heard uh, they might be coming out with uh, pops for children. There's a little smaller, but where I don't, you know, I can basically jam it down my son's throat, so I don't have to hear the. And, 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 and then I went to the, <laughs> and, and but but the 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 tree was brown and 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 right. You can you can do this for kids too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hundred percent. Absolutely. It, you know, they make the smaller sizes so you can get fit more of them in their mouth. Uh, their tiny little mouths. You can just fill it up with um, all the mini Politipops. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but they're called Babbly Pops, right? Yeah. For toddler. Now for toddlers. Now for toddlers. Yeah. <laughs> um, may constitute a um, uh, a gagging or choking concern, but that's kind of the point. Right? That's kind of the point. Yeah, I guess so. Most okay. of them are are have really delicious flavors. You know, pomegranate cherry and sure. uh, honey lemon, but there are ones mm. for root beer float. Root beer my float, favorite. yeah, or yeah. your dreamsicle. But um, but if someone's really just going at it, they've got like tuna flavored ones that you can kind of jam mm-hmm. down someone's. It's not pleasant, and I think they take the hint. Yeah, as soon as <laughs> as soon as they get a tuna pop. When Grandpa Joe starts to talk about, you know, I might have been right about Hitler. <laughs> That's when you just go for the yeah. serious ones. I got you. I got you. Yeah, they make a fascist one for that one. This yes. fascist pop, you can you can shove down it. <laughs> yes. Uh, all right. Well, we are lucky to have them uh, as a new sponsor. Um, and and uh, thank you for as a guest bringing a new sponsor. That's always a nice uh, a nice little add on there. Mm-hmm. Of course, of course, of course. Uh, so all right. So Justin, you were talking about. Um, I liked where your comment was going about mentioning just working with in-house teams and working with contractors and maybe just like what that looks like at Dash? Yeah, kind of breaking them down into the, the three different groups. We've talked a good amount about freelancers, but there might be some some interesting topics there. Um, I, have you have you worked with other agencies? 
before? Yeah, we have. So I would say about 60% of Dash's work is direct to client and then 40% is through agency still. Okay. So, I mean, there's, there's one just down the road here, McKinney. Uh, so an agency like that might hire you to execute a particular project. And, and what is that like? Like, where does the, how do they, how does creative get meshed together? What does that look like? I think it's a case by case basis. <laughs> you know, Dash has the capabilities to be as turnkey as clients need us to be. So, you know, we work with folks who have no video experience, know they need to make an animation and have no idea the steps or the process that even goes from going start to finish. So in those instances, there's a lot of handholding, uh, which is fine. And we kind of walk through a Dash process uh, from start to finish. And the Dash process in a nutshell is uh, six key steps. Um, you know, we have discovery. Why are we doing this? Who is this for? What is the purpose of this project? Why are we making this video? And what do you want this video to essentially achieve? You know, it's all the upfront questions mm-hmm. uh, we ask at the beginning of any project. From there, it moves to ideation. Uh, you know, what is the right solve for this project? So knowing all the facts at hand, what would Dash recommend being the video? Is it a handful of 15-second social videos? Is it a minute and a half explainer video? Is it something even more long form because where the audience will be watching it, they might have longer attention spans. Uh, so we basically use all the data and info we're able to get from Discovery uh, to come up with our best solution in ideation. Um, at that point, uh, we move into messaging. So, you know, what do we want to say? Uh, what is what is this brand? What is the brand's voice? What is it male? Is it female? What is the tone? Uh, is it sort of conversational? Is it like more thought leader? You know, we really figure out and suss out uh, what we want to say, what the story is, and how we're describing this product or service. Uh, once we get through messaging, that's when we move into pre-production. So. Very similar, I'm sure, to how you all do your pre-production for your live action shoots. Uh, you know, we do a lot of the same things for animation. It's things like style frames, still images that convey the overall look and feel of a project, uh, storyboards that really lay out the story and what we intend to create. Um, those are the core elements that we have in all our pre-production projects. But sometimes with like 3D, we might do pre-visualization where it really kind of shows rough models of what something could look like. Mm-hmm. We may do a motion comp where we actually put some stuff in motion. Basically, the pre-production, uh, like in, you, know, you all do as well, is really just trying to give as much insight to where we are going on the project so there are no hiccups down the road when we execute on that direction. Because um, once we've laid out the pre-production, that's when we get into production. Uh, where it's basically following the map that we created. You know, that's where we're adding the motion, uh, connecting the dots, moving between keyframes. We had original music and sound design to almost all the projects we take on to give that extra uh, uh, bespoke and sort of custom work with what we do. And then finally, it's final file creation. So whether this is going to live online or at an event or on a mobile phone app, uh, we basically create the right compressions um, for folks and paying what they need. Uh, So that is the Dash process as a whole. And so when clients come to work with us and kind of going back to your original question, Justin, um, it really depends on their needs. You know, if we're working direct to client, um, they're going to see probably that whole production process from start to finish. If it's working directly through an agency, a lot of times they have their messaging and things of that nature all buttoned up and they're really looking for someone who can execute on the final product itself. Um, so and in those no, cases, you know, you, go ahead. You have, you have no issue just someone handing over creative to you and saying, make this? Uh, no, no, I don't. Um, now, uh, it depends on the creative, of course. You know, I think it depends on the project, depends on who we're working with, and depends on what the ask is. You know, are we going to take on every one of those projects where someone's like, hey, we did all this stuff, we want you to execute on it? Uh, not always, not a guarantee, right? Sure. A lot of times we'll say like, hey, this looks good, this is a good start, we'd actually like to massage your storyboards a little bit or like increase it. So we 
we may take what they've created and while they have a core idea of what they want, uh, we will still build off some of those pre-production elements into the state or, uh, or quality that we want it to be. Because a lot of times it can get kind of messy. People will have storyboards and you're like, great. And you look at them and you're like, this really isn't conveying anything. Or do you have three boards for like a minute and a half long piece, right? It just doesn't work. So, you know, if we take an agency for an example, uh, the way we structure our process is kind of we come into the dash process depending on where they are. So, you know, if they have their messaging established, you know, with every animation, we still need to establish what the overall look and feel is going to look like. So we'll still create style frames, storyboards, and things of that nature. Um, with an agency, there is basically like working with two clients, though. That's where it gets a little bit tricky because mm-hmm. we have a review with the agency. We take that set of review and then apply feedback and make those adjustments before it then goes out to the client. Um, so because of that, timelines tend to be a little bit longer. Or when timelines can't be longer, that's when the price is a little bit higher because we have to have more bodies involved mm-hmm. to be able to handle that more or less. Does that answer your yeah. question? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's not really a question, just kind of like a topic of conversation. I just think it's interesting to see how, uh, because animation is not, especially animation is not one of the things that we, we have, you know, most of our experience is in live action. Um, mm-hmm. So I just think it's interesting to see what your process might look like. Do you prefer working with other agencies or do you prefer working directly with clients? I prefer working with people who like symbiotic relationships with the folks that they work with. You know, I have worked with agencies in the past where it feels like we're on the same page and there's a lot of back and forth and it's turned out to be great products. Uh, I've also worked with clients who I really appreciate that they trust us as the, is the, the vendor that knows what they're talking about when it comes to animation. And so they trust our opinions and what we say. Um, I think over the course of time, we've naturally run into better situations, I think, with direct to client because you're really only dealing with one stakeholder at that point or one group of stakeholders. I think, you know, not saying that you can't have a good final result with agencies and we have a ton of them, but there are more layers that you have to work through. And so you just have to really be on the same page. And so I think that naturally introduces uh, another element that has to deal with. So I think the direct to client uh, to your point, Ben just ends up being a little bit easier because there's less folks to deal with. Yeah. I, I think everybody would agree that more cooks in the kitchen isn't necessarily better. Mm-hmm. In fact, I don't mind if there's a lot of cooks. I just like cooks to be on the same page. I think surprise cooks are always troubling. You know, when there's <laughs> yeah. like a cook that you you didn't know was going to be cooking and then they're cooking, you know, that's, that's a problem, you know? So I think it just goes back to a core value that we really hold in high regard. Our studio is transparency and just, you know, being upfront with, the agency or the client on just the reviews and our process, you know, having that process really distilled has helped us as we are getting into projects. We can really say like, Hey, at this point in time, it is critical that these sorts of things happen. So if you have other stakeholders, you have other people involved, they need to weigh in at this point in time. I think when we were a little bit more junior and first starting out as a company, some of those conversations just didn't happen right away and you get burned later on because of it. So I think you're perpetually just need to be learning from, the mistakes that you made early on. So there aren't mistakes in the long run. You can just recognize, oh, I need to talk about this, or I need to mention that this is critical. We make a decision here, or, you know, understand that based on previous projects, someone didn't weigh in until the very end. So now I need to make sure that they weigh in now. Um, it's, it's just important too, you know, kind of the working title for this episode before we landed on working well with others was uh, collaboration, not competition. Mm-hmm. And I think that is especially important when, well, I, I think it's important when you're working with a client that has an in-house team or you're working with another agency because both both sides have to 
come into it. And I think the transparency is a big part of that. But I feel like both sides really have to come into that, knowing that they're working to the same goal and to lean on each other's expertise. So when working with an agency, they may understand the brand better than you do because they've got a longer term relationship. Or if you're working with an in-house team, maybe there's something about um, maybe something about key messaging or style or, or something like that that they understand. Um, in, in fact, one of our one of our clients right now, we were going over style frames for actually an animated video we're doing for them. We were going over style frames last week, and they have a very limited color palette. And he admitted that from the beginning. But as we were going through the style frames. He basically brought up, look, in my experience in designing for our company, we're going to paint ourselves in a corner if we are this strict with the color palette. So let's vary up some of the so like relying on 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 his inside expertise to understand that helps us make something better um, where, uh, you know, and, th and that's kind of that in-house team. We're also working with an agency. The, the problems that we've run into with other agencies are when they kind of see us as like just almost like a, a tool to do what they're trying mm -hmm. to do, opposed mm -hmm. to relying on yeah. what it is that we do for our clients when we're working directly with them. So as long as there's that mutual respect and understanding and that you're, you're coming together to make mm -hmm. something bigger than either one could do individually, that's when those things work. In, in my experience, anyway. 100% respecting each other's time, going in, into it together, not feeling like you're left out with a bunch of questions or you're turning stuff in for radio silence. I mean, none of that stuff is good. Yes. I also think defining roles is really important. Like we've had situations where we've worked on projects where we actually collaborated with a company's in-house creative team. Now, you can look at that on the surface and be like, well, that just sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> you know, like how on earth do you kind of wage that? But I think as long as there are roles that are defined, that are like, hey, the in-house team is going to help you achieve what you need to achieve. We're asking you all to be the decision makers on something. You know, that's that's good. You just want to know what the clarity is. And so in that instance, it's been really great, knock on wood so far, because, you know, there's been a lot of uh, community ideas sharing. We've like shown certain things maybe we, they hadn't thought of and vice versa. And it ultimately makes the product better. And in this certain situation I'm talking about, it's a handful of these individual videos that the internal team is working on uh, in conjunction while we're working on some of them as well, because they needed the additional help. Hmm. And so there is a necessity to kind of be on the same page and kind of go back and forth. And so it's been really nice to kind of collaborate with another whole creative team because naturally, you know, at Dash, we definitely have a style and our team has a style. We kind of, you know, I don't want to say we do group things. I think everyone is very individual, but naturally by just working with the same people over and over again, mm -hmm. you kind of develop a, a thought process. And so to work with a whole new creative group that's clearly doing stuff a little bit differently, I think it's really created some unique uh, final outputs that we're working on, uh, which has been really fun. So like situations like that can work or even with an agency, uh, to what you were talking about, Ben, it's not a problem if they are the ultimate ones that are making decision on the creative and all that stuff, you know, and even if we're just executing on it, long as I feel like we're in it together and we're getting feedback from them that is in the regard of what their responsibility is on the project, where they are the, they understand the client, they know what the client's going to like, what they won't like, things they've done in the past that we might not be privy to that they can bring to the table, that they are giving us feedback and the lens of that, where they've had this history with the client, that is incredibly helpful. You know, so I don't mind those situations where I think things get really dicey uh, is where it just feels like there's that lack of respect or you're very dictating what to be done. 
and then there's no communication or back and forth. You know, the more that the people we work with like to communicate with us and are open to having the collaboration, um, that's what I products I really like to work on for sure. I know you all are the same way. I think that imposter syndrome comes back into it sometimes too in these like worst case scenarios, but the imposter syndrome, like, like the agency, even if they have no or limited video experience, they feel like the freelancers do right where they, they don't want to say anything wrong Mm -hmm. and they kind of overcompensate by like dictating and like trying too hard where they Mm -hmm. could just kind of let go. Like they're, it's that, hey, remember I'm the boss, right? They're not confident enough in, in their own, abilities almost to to go ahead and trust and and give up or you know or to, on top to the of that then you get clients who are worried that their client is going to bypass them yes. to go directly work with you and yes. so because of that they keep this shield and this curtain up to hide you i'll give you a great example of a project that worked really well uh and it highlights the benefit of transparency on everything um, so there's an agency in Raleigh called New Kind. I don't know if you all are familiar yeah, with New Kind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They do great. You know, uh, Matt Munez, Jonathan Opp, they do wonderful work. We had the pleasure of being neighbors with them for a while at our old office. Uh, think incredibly highly of the two of them. Um, and they do, they do wonderful work. And they had a client that needed a video and video is not their specialty. So they reached out to us to bring us in. Now, they could have easily kept up this wall could have dictated what they wanted us to do, never had us meet the client or anything. Uh, but instead, they brought us into the client meetings with their client. You know, mm-hmm. they were transparent with the client that says, hey, we're doing branding. We do this stuff really well. Uh, this is Dash. They do video and they do video really well. And so we came into that conversation as partners, as a partnership. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just new kind leading everything. And what that ultimately did is it instilled confidence with the client to say like, okay, cool. Like we can trust new kind because they deliver what we need. Here are them. Here they are bringing a good partner to the table. There's no risk of dialogue getting lost in translation. We hear it directly from the client's mouth. And the whole process was very collaborative. At the end of the day, we created this video that new kind, the dash and the client was ultimately happy with. And that was a result of everyone uh, being transparent and open. Now, would that have gone the same way had we kind of been shielded and hidden? You know, of course, we would have done the best to make the project just as good as we could have. But I think it's a better product because we were involved in that. We had the collaboration. We were working together. And so I vision, I, I can see more of those things happening. You know, I can see Storyboard Media doing the live action stuff and coming to Dash and we're a partner on something and we create something really cool or other branding studios out there, or illustration studios or whatever it is. You know, and I think it just kind of shows and speaks to where things are going to be developing in the future where it might not be these really big gargantuan agencies anymore. It might be a myriad of these smaller shops that collectively pull together resources and work together to deliver when they might not otherwise be able to because they don't have all the offerings. Yeah, I would extend that and, and piggyback that also to speak again directly to the freelancers listening mm-hmm. right now is you're going to bring a lot more value as a freelancer to a production company, for lack of a better term, um, if you're willing to talk directly to clients also. If you're willing to be in those meetings with the con- – ju- just like you were talking about how it made sense for Newkind to bring you into the client conversations mm-hmm. – it's a whole lot easier when a freelancer that we've got working on a project for ours is willing to and and, and can be um, very engaged in those client conversations because you're just taking out 
uh, a round of telephone that is unnecessary. And, you know, I, I may hear something from a client, relay it to a freelancer. They ask me a really good question. I answer it a certain way because I've interpreted from the client a certain way. But if mm -hmm. that freelancer at, was in a position to ask the client directly, they may actually, in fact, get a different answer than what I'm giving them. And so I know a lot. I know a lot of freelancers like really hate <laughs> direct conversations <laughs> with clients and I get it. But there's just so much more value as a freelancer if you're willing to be a part of those conversations. It just saves so much and time I, and so much miscommunication. And I think for clarity, it's not asking an introvert to be an extrovert. You're Correct. asking an introvert to be gregarious when talking about their craft. So you just need to be able to talk about the design, the edit, the illustration, whatever it is to a client. You don't necessarily have to be outgoing and hang out with them and have chit chat, but being able to talk yeah. towards your craft yeah. is important. Bring your expertise to the conversation. That's what, that's why you're being hired ideally. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I try to, I try to get everybody on our team and, and any of our freelancers that are involved going into those conversations to, to make sure that you're asking whatever questions you need to ask so that you feel like you know what you need to know to go do your job. Right. I mean, that that that's really kind of the mindset that I, I, I mean, I think people get so caught up and think, but like, am, do I have a clear understanding now of what I can go do with this because I get their motivations or whatever it is? I think that also starts internally, too. Like with uh, one of the things that we try to do at Dash is we do a lot of design charrettes. So like before the client even sees something or before we put uh, one of our team members in a position where they might need to talk towards something, you know, we get them comfortable talking within the, with with and around mm -hmm. the staff about their designs, both good and bad, right? Yep. You know, I think we are all craftsmen and craftswomen when it comes to creating and designing good stuff. And so it can be hard to hear critical feedback, but training yourself and being comfortable to hear that and to talk about is good. So, you know, when we have projects, you know, we'll do an agency review where we'll bring everyone around uh, to weigh in on feedback and critique one another. We'll also just have design charrettes where we're kicking around ideas for a project, but getting staff comfortable talking about the design and what is going on just ultimately prepares them for those conversations that are going to happen later in their professional career as they move up in the design world. Yeah. At their best, these triangular partnerships between like a client and agency and a, and a freelancer or however that, uh, whatever scale that is at their best, you get really creative work done really well because there's a lot of specialists mm -hmm. doing what they're really good at at their worst. I think it's usually, the pitfall and something like that is a process is not having processes defined uh, in all different ways. And yeah. some people start to think that, Oh, well this, I define storyboards like this mm -hmm. and animatics like that. And, and uh, yeah, just the different definitions, the different timelines. Um, that's where, that's where it's fallen apart for us in the past. Definitely. And I think that's what needs to be unified, not only because you think about freelancers are going to have different processes, mm -hmm. uh, clients are going to have different processes, some clients aren't going to know what the process is. And so I think that's where the responsibility comes on like studio owners like ourselves to say like here, by working with us, this is our process, this is how we define it. Now, of course, that can be flexible depending on who you're working with and massage a little bit, but having that core really grounds the client, it grounds the freelancers working with you and it yeah. set expectations on what's to come. Yeah. And, and I think that rolls right. So I was going to say, in addition to process, oftentimes it can expose a lack of leadership and, you know, every ship needs a captain, every project needs a director. And, and it's so easy uh, when you go into those multi-level collaborative projects where 
it has just as as process maybe hasn't been communicated, but the the person who is responsible for making the ultimate decision hasn't been established also. Mm-hmm. Um, and and those things those when they go their worst, they just expose those things, but mm-hmm. that means that they're identifiable and they're fixable. Mm-hmm. How do you all ad- identify how do you make that clear to clients that you all work with? Like when is it early on? Are you are, are you as blunt as like, hey, will you be the ultimate decision maker on this project? Or like, how do you find that storyboard sets the stage to ensure that you are getting stuff to the right person to make that right decision? You know, I think we have a default position where we believe that it's our role to lead our clients. So we, it, it's almost like forcing them to trust us. <laughs> Um, we, we don't have any fear. Of, well, even through the of, sales process, we you earn the trust. And, and, Sorry, and, that, and that, yeah. And that, that's where I was going to go with that is, is we start early on, um, saying what we feel like we need to say. And so even, so whether it's in, in the sales process or then through some kind of strategic discovery, you know, we have these times before we actually get to creative decisions where we've just kind of built this relationship where we're going to push back and um, and we find that they trust oh if they're a client worth working with mm-hmm. we find that they trust us quicker when we are deliberately kind of pushing back and and taking that role of leading them and and it may be a little bit brute force sometimes um, I think we try to be very tactful and polite about it I mean we're not just saying like you're an idiot and this is what we're gonna do but, you know, but but we also know that, like, you know, push back on something twice. And if they still say that they want to do it a certain way, then we'll do it that way. And I can't tell you how many times we've talked internally about how we're like, OK, well, we'll do this, but we're going to do it like against doctor's orders. So, you know, we're, we're going to say this is what we think we should do, but we get that you want to go this way. We've pushed back a couple times. So now we're going to go ahead and go this way. But but by doing that from the beginning, it often doesn't get to that point where they're basically Mm. just saying like, no, we have to do it this way. And so it's almost like the more time that's, that's one of the big things that I love about our strategic engagements, our springboard process is that we get to spend anywhere between two and eight weeks developing that relationship with a new client or defining what success is for this particular project Mm. so that we are all on the same page. And we're all, and, and I think that's another thing too, is, is we, we, for anybody who listens to the podcast on a regular basis, we're all about purpose. What's the purpose of this video? Because then we always have that in our back pocket to go back to the client and say, I get what you're saying here and I see how that's a cool idea, but remember this is what we're trying to do with this thing. And we really feel like this is a better way to achieve that than that. And I would say nine times out of 10, that's enough for them to say, yeah, no, 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 you're right. I appreciate you, you know, listening to that. And so I think it's I think it's just this combination of like by default understanding that we're going to be the ones that that direct how this thing goes, and as you build that relationship, kind of almost enable them to trust you. That's well put, Ben. I mean, I think you know one of the things that designers early on will get caught up in is like you know you want to appease the client, 
Of course you do. We all do, right? Sure. But also feeling comfortable enough to push back when you feel like something's not right. You know, particularly at the end of the day, when it's your work that's going to be going out there. Yeah. You know, if you're like, hey, I don't think this is the right solve or you want to take and put 100 logos on this one page. I don't think that's the right move you want to do. You know, speak up. Mm-hmm. Don't just be a yes person. People want to work with people who have thought and, you know, mm-hmm. are thinking through this and what they can ultimately be. But to your point, Ben, if, you know, at the end of the day, we are still designers. We're not artists. So we were trying to solve what the client wants. Uh, not what we want. So because of that pushback, but at the end of the day, if they say like, we want to do it this way, then yeah, for sure. You got to do it. You can't hold them against that. You know, I, one of the, I think we've only used it one or two times, but we thought about it a lot of times is, is ultimately you come back to the client and you say, well, this isn't, if we go this direction, this isn't something we would put on our site, but if that's how you want to do it, then <laughs> we can do it that <laughs> way. And it just gives them that, that, that last little opportunity to be like, well, oh, wait, why, why would you not be proud enough about right. this to put it on your site should <laughs> i be proud enough to, to and and again if you get to that point with someone they're probably one you know more likely one of those you know it has to be this way kind of dictatorial type of clients anyway um but you know it's we've done it a couple times and it's worked what's that it's where a director's sure. cut comes from yeah yeah and a good process because if you go back to the discovery phase on why you're doing something and so you're in the late rounds of animation and they're pushing like, let's throw in this or let's add this. Like, well, this isn't the main goal of what you're doing. By yeah. throwing this in, you're kind of watering down the whole product. You know, you told me early on your goal was X, Y, and Z. By adding this new scene or throwing these new designs, you're not really hitting on that. It's kind of unrelevant, you know? And I think that's why having that defined process is so critical to be able to revisit even later on. Because you're like, well, these are the decisions we made early on when we were first talking about it. Let's follow that roadmap. Yeah. I also think it's important and we don't, always do this well enough but i think it's important when you're going through those rounds of feedback wherever you are in the process is to clearly dictate what type of feedback you're looking for yeah So, so like when you're in style frames when you're in storyboards that's the time to talk about like do we want this to be like a character animation? Do we want this to be a silhouetted thing? Do we want this to be like a mixed media mm-hmm. kind of like mm-hmm. what's the approach we want to take with this? Those are the times to have those discussions and try different things. Not when you've already said we're going with character animation on this. <laughs> and then and then you get right. to like the later stages and they're like, you know what I do I you know, I don't know if that was right. I think we should have gone with like the mixed media kind of thing. Right. It, like it's too late. And if you don't provide those you know, that that sense of the kind of feedback you're looking for every time you're looking for feedback, it kind of creates this vacuum that the client likes to fill with whatever they can. So we found a lot of success when we're more specific about the type of feedback or even oftentimes we'll kind of throw them a couple things that we want to change. And we'll mm-hmm. say, hey, we're going to change this at this timestamp, this at this timestamp, and this at this timestamp. Let us know if there's anything else you see. Mm-hmm. And the process of them actually like agreeing to those three points is fulfills enough. Fulfills their need to fulfills, <laughs> Yes, fulfills their need to yeah. provide feedback. Um, and it's, you know, I mean, I, some people may interpret that as manipulative, but like, that's just, that's part of how clients are is like, if you don't tell them what you're looking for, they're going to give you anything they can think of. And, and so defining that process, defining what you're looking mm-hmm. for helps a lot of those situations. You're training your clients as well to a certain degree. I'm like, absolutely even, you know, going back on the symbiotic relationship, like you want them to feel as comfortable pushing back on us as we do on them. Like they should feel like 
they can say, I actually don't like these three scenes mm-hmm. and tell me that in storyboard phase, as opposed to when we're in animation, they're like, well, I just didn't want to say it because I didn't want to hurt your feelings. It's like, no, yeah. this is our job. Like, that's fine. Hurt my feelings in storyboards. Don't hurt my feelings once right. we've timed everything right. out in, yes. animated, in animation. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Then you're going to hurt my bottom line, not just my feelings. Yeah. You're hurt my bottom line. Exactly. <laughs> what do we want to get to before we finish up here? Yeah. You know, we haven't really talked about like lessons learned. Um, I think that could be something that's really helpful. Um, at least from a studio perspective, I know that lessons learned, you know, you're not doing a good job if you're not learning from yourself, 100%, right? I think everyone needs to admit, first and foremost, they don't know everything. I think there's an expectation that people want you to know everything, that you should know everything. Uh, but the realistic matter is everyone doesn't know everything. You know, my background is design. I've been learning business since I've started this company. And I've learned a lot. Um, and I've also learned a lot on how to run various projects. And I think one of those things is just even how to organize and prep our freelancers with every project we do, particularly when we're bringing in a contractor. uh, It starts with organization. While it is a challenge and it is time consuming to do, uh, we make creative briefs for every one of our freelancers where it talks about what the project is, who's the client, what we're trying to do, what we're trying to achieve, their role and expectation in the project, as well as clear deliverable schedule on what they can expect and how we're going to get this done. Every project is time consuming to do, but at the end of the day, it helps immensely. So that's the first thing. Or it saves time. This, when you, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It saves time. Is late. Yeah. yeah. It makes up for it. hundred percent. Cause it's so, when you're in the thralls of it and you're so busy and there's a million things going on, which is usually one of the reasons why you're bringing in a freelancer, it, it can feel hard to make that time. I know it did for me, at least in the couple, early couple of years. And so a lot of times we would kind of wing it and not spell out everything we wanted the freelancer to do. And as soon as you don't spell something out, it's going to go a different way. And that's not a bad thing. Like sometimes you want it to go a different way. So you don't give really crystal clear direction on something specific because you want them to explore and try something new. But if you've got something in your head and you know what you want them to execute on or how you want to execute on it, you got to be explicit in that because otherwise you're going to get something different. So that starts with creative brief for us. We also do use Google Drive for organization. Um, you know, for us, we have storyboards, which we are using to animate. Right. So we will take the approved storyboards with the frame number and assign our freelancers to those various frame numbers. That's typically how we work with freelance contract animators so that they have a frame that they're associated with. We'll also have a notes column where we can add little tidbits or maybe some last feedback that trickled in that we're rolling into the next phase. We'll leave that in there. Uh, we will also have a, a spot for feedback. We'll also be clear on how we want freelancers to be sending us stuff for feedback. So just as we are clear with clients on saying at this point in this part of the project, this is what we're looking for for feedback, just as you were mentioning, Ben, we do the same thing with our freelancers. You know, This is the project. This is what we want you to execute on. Uh, this is what we're going to be looking for. This is how we want to be able to review your project and give feedback. That is particularly important when you have a big animation project for us where we might have six animators working on something, particularly Mm -hmm. where those six animators need to access some of the similar assets where they're handing stuff off to different people. Um, We have found that that organizational process has saved us boatloads of time later on and avoided rework. Because I think one of the lessons I learned is that when I wasn't specific, I found myself working harder because I would have to go back and fix things on my own time versus spending the time up front to be very detailed and critical of what we were looking for ultimately got deliverable where that didn't need to be reworked or fixed. I have a lot of trouble <laughs> pressing pause from the beginning. <laughs> I usually just start digging a hole and <laughs> where's everybody? That's <laughs> where is everybody? <laughs> that's how this works. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I think that that's I mean 
that kind of goes to collaboration, like find people who can yeah. off, offset your weaknesses. Uh, but yeah, the, uh, the organization is, I mean, that's, that's huge. Well, and, and, and it also reminds me too, that, that if you're working with freelancers who, who also work directly with clients and, and maybe aren't working with the studio in between, um, you've just got to constantly remind each other that you've got these internal rounds that you need to do also. Right. Because when they talk about like two rounds of revisions, they're thinking about like two rounds of revisions from their end. But if you, if you as a studio have given the client two rounds of revisions, that means that there needs to be four rounds of revisions because you've got an internal round of revisions on each of those. And as the studio, you're thinking, I told the client two rounds of revisions. The freelancer's thinking I got two rounds of revisions but it actually needs to be four and nobody realized that it needs to be four. And then the freelancers upset because they're doing more work than, than they thought they were going to do. Or you as a studio are upset because you got to pay that freelancer more because there's these, I mean, it's just it. And, and yes, I think those, those outlines, those briefs, they lay that stuff out. It's something that's there from the beginning that, uh, that, yeah. And, and I think, I think it's some, it's something that honestly is on our list to do better. But when we have done those kinds of things, Yes, those projects tend to go better. Is there a, and so we haven't worked with any in-house teams in a couple years, have we? Like, mm. like where they actually have a video team in-house, right? Um, we've worked with marketing departments who have designers and yeah. you know marketers and those kinds of things, obviously. But but um, so I, I mean, if there's anything you wanted to say about working with in-house teams, I'd, I'd love to hear just because I know very little about that world like in-house video teams yeah like like uh, i don't know if you want to say client names but right. i mean for us at least i mean we really work with like a variety of situations like it's kind of crazy to think about just the different types of clients that we work with and the situations that all of those have you know i don't know if i can name off the top of my head like folks specifically with the in-house video teams but i do know that on situations where we are collaborating with other individuals on a project in general I think it comes back to uh, crystal clear on decision makers and crystal clear on organization. You know, clients typically look to us because they're busy. They don't have time to handle this. They want us to create a product. And then you start to get into issues when you're dependent on our product being a result of something that they have to give us, whether that's branding elements, logos, things of that nature, or a more robust, you know, kind of compositing type things, the footage that we need, you know? So we'll have clients sometimes say like, Hey, we want you to, you know, add this animation overlay to these videos. We have all these videos that were shot really well done, right? And it's like, okay, cool. That's great. Great that they're well done. And then you get your hands on it and you're like, these aren't really shot well. They're compressed. They're not high resolution things. And so that has always been a challenge uh, for us. I think one of the things we've done over the years is that when those types of projects arise that are heavily dependent on us getting content from a client to work with or from their in-house team is making sure that we are able to one, review that client, review that, the content before the project starts, you know, making sure that we get our eyes on it. Um, also making sure that there is a production flow if they are working on things that need to get to us, that we have access to where they're going to be uploading it, whether it's their F- internal FTP um, login or if it's something like ShareFile or Dropbox, whatever. Uh, just making sure that we set up a plan and even, again, that process and how they're going to be getting stuff to us. Because, you know, on the projects where it started really quick, we didn't get to see the stuff. Inevitably, uh, the footage isn't always that great or we're mm-hmm. missing stuff. You know, and what ends up happening is, you know, at least with animation and what we do, 
there's always a solve that we just create something and cover something up, you know, for the most part, but you have to be really creative on that. And most yeah. of the hindsight conversations that we have are always like, wow, I really wish we had gotten to see that footage before we jumped into it. Or I really wish our project, the project manager, project lead made sure to send it to us. We had projects where we were dependent on footage that just never came, but we were supposed to start the project and the deadline's <laughs> still the same. So it's like, you just can't expect that the people on the other end are going to get you exactly what you need. You need to be very explicit on the items and all the assets that you need and how you want to receive them. I think that's a big thing. So don't be passive in that. You got to be really outgoing and reaching out and saying like, this is exactly what I want. I'm being active. I need this to get this project done. You know, use (laughs) more periods, be definitive. Don't soften sentences with exclamation marks, you know, things like that. (laughs) More periods. I like that. Yeah. Should put a period on this podcast? I think we should. All right. See you later. Boop. <laughs> um, well, I think before we go, we should hear from our sponsor once again. Yeah, we'll do one more spot. They've agreed to two. I see. They paid for two. Luckily, they only sent us one script because as I alluded to that we are uh, crafty and creative, we can wing this one and figure it out. Uh, you know, Politipops from the makers of Shut Up Tape the ones that really keep your relatives quiet over the holidays will really mean to lean into it this year. And they're actually offering a buy one, get one free deal uh, for this time only. If you buy into Politipops and buy the six pack to give to your uncle, they'll give you six rolls of tape to make sure you can tape up all those little mouths for everyone that goes along with it for the shut up tape along with it. So that's the, that's the final little bit that they have. That's a great deal. That is fantastic. Because the tape, I haven't, they've been sold out for a long time. I'm surprised they're stocked, stocked I think up the again. only way to get the tape right now is with the Politipop bundle. The bundle, yeah. Yeah. That's the right. That's right. The, I mean, it's about, supplies last. It's yes. about collaborating, right? You need the, the pops and yes. the tape. Well, uh, <clears throat> Matt Garrison of Dash, thank you so much for joining us today. Fantastic conversation. Um, I know I learned something. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad I didn't just ramble for an hour. I'm glad everyone, hopefully, fingers crossed, learned something. What I've continued to learn in working with others is what other people know and I don't. It just helps round out my experience in the in the industry. Yeah. And, and there's parts of it that are validating, right? Because there are things that you all do that mm-hmm. are the same that we all do. And none of us had any formal training in this. And so that kind of like confirms like, all right, well, maybe we're doing this part right. But then there are always other ways that that you know other people do some similar things and that's how that's how you learn and grow is by being open to you know what other people are doing and and i think you know before we started recording mac that's part of what we were you and i were talking about is there just aren't a whole lot of opportunities for you know agency owners of of you know whether it's two video studios coming together or working with an seo agency or whatever just to talk um, for some reason, we all feel so possessive of our little niches mm-hmm. that we, you know, we in general don't like to share a whole lot of, you know, secrets and, and have open, transparent discussions. So we appreciate you coming on and, and doing that with us today. Yeah, let's continue to break down the silos. You know, I think it ultimately the work is better when you're working together and not alone. You know, I mm-hmm. think people get caught up that they need to handle everything or that they need to carry this weight on their shoulders. But I think, you know, one of the things that I learned as a business owner, and I'm sure you're the same way, is as soon as you start delegating and bringing in folks to help with that workload, not only does it help you, but it makes the work better. You know, <laughs> just get your shit straight up front. Yes, that's right. Yes. Uh, all right. Well, I think that's a great note to end on, a great period to end on. Uh, thank you for watching or listening to this episode of the Video Reformation Podcast. I'm Ben Oliver. I'm Justin Plant. And 
And I'm Matt Garrison. Yes. <laughs> yes, you are. Perfect. We're not even going to edit that. That was perfectly in rhythm. All right. Thanks so much. Uh, all the rating, the liking, the subscribing, whatever, iTunes, Stitcher, whatever. I think that part builds itself in. And we'll see you next time on the Video Reformation Podcast. Thank you. Thank you.